European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 13, Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Challenges in heart failure, quality of life, chronic kidney disease, and secondary mitral regurgitation. This focus issue on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathies opens with the viewpoint entitled The Dapagliflozin and Prevention of Adverse Outcomes in Heart Failure Trial, or DAPA-HF, in Context. Authored by John McMurray from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom and colleagues. The authors note that the recently reported Dapagliflozin and Prevention of Adverse Outcomes in Heart Failure Trial, or as mentioned DAPA-HF, showed the sodium glucose co-transporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitor, dapagliflozin, reduced the risk of hospital admissions for worsening HF, increased survival, and improved symptoms in patients with HF with reduced ejection fraction, or HEFREF. In addition, the beneficial effects of SGLT2 inhibitors are not diminished in intensively treated patients who are receiving sacubitral valsartin. Although SGLT2 inhibitors have been developed as glucose-lowering treatments for patients with type 2 diabetes, approximately half the patients in the DAPA-HF did not have type 2 diabetes. The benefits of dapagliflozin in DAPA-HF were of a similar magnitude in participants without diabetes to the benefits obtained in individuals with diabetes. The authors put these findings into perspective indicating that there are two principal contextual considerations, how the patients randomised in DAPA-HF and their event rates compared with those in the prior SGLT2 inhibitor trials, and second, how the effects of dapagliflozin compare with those of other pharmacological treatments for HEFREF. Besides the risk for mortality and recurrent hospitalizations, patients with HEFREF also suffer from impaired health status. Improvements in physical functioning and symptoms constitute major treatment goals in these patients, as reflected in the guidance statements from the regulatory agencies and the recognition of Canvas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire, or KCCQ, and the Minnesota Living with Heart Failure Questionnaire by the Food and Drug Administration as a clinical trial endpoint. The effects of SGLT2 inhibitors on quality of life are still poorly known, in a clinical research article on their secondary analysis of the EMPRA REDUCE trial, entitled Empagliflozin and Health-Related Quality of Life Outcomes in Patients with Heart Failure with Reduced Ejection Fraction, the EMPRA REDUCE trial, Javid Butler from the University of Mississippi School of Medicine, Jackson, Mississippi, USA, and colleagues sought to evaluate whether the benefits of empagliflozin varied by baseline health status and how empagliflozin impacted patients' reported outcomes in patients with HEFREF. Health status was assessed by the KCCQ Clinical Summary Score, or KCCQ-CSS. The influence of baseline KCCQ-CSS, analysed by Tertiles, on the effect of empagliflozin on major outcomes was examined using Cox proportional hazard models. Responder analyses were performed to assess the odds of improvement and deterioration in KCCQ scores related to treatment with empagliflozin. 
empagliflozin reduced the primary outcome of cardiovascular death or HF hospitalization, regardless of baseline KCCQ CSS tertiles. In addition, empagliflozin improved KCCQ CSS, total symptom score, and overall summary score at 3, 8, and 12 months. Finally, more patients on empagliflozin had more than 5 point, odds ratio 1.20, 10 point, odds ratio 1.26, and 15 point, odds ratio 1.29, improvement at 3 months. These benefits were sustained at 8 and 12 months. The authors conclude that empagliflozin improves cardiovascular death or HF hospitalization risk across the range of baseline health status and improves health status across various domains during long-term follow-up. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by John Spertus from St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute and the University of Missouri, Kansas City, in Kansas City, Missouri, USA, and colleagues. Spertus and colleagues conclude that the report by the Emperor Reduced Investigators provides much-needed information to patients and providers about an important benefit of therapy. While there are additional methods to render the findings even more clinically interpretable and to eventually build risk models to help identify which patients are most likely to benefit or deteriorate from empagliflozin, it is increasingly clear that SGLT2 inhibitors can improve the symptoms, function and quality of life of patients with HF and reduced ejection fractions. The key challenge now is for the provider community to develop new strategies to treat and engage their patients in using these treatments so that their health status and clinical outcomes can be improved. Mortality rates attributed to chronic kidney disease, or CKD, have increased in the last decade. SGLT2 inhibitors delay progression to kidney failure in patients with type 2 diabetes, both at the early as well as the more advanced stages of CKD. These benefits appear independent of the improvements in glycemic control and are likely mediated by other mechanisms, including favourable effects on glomerular hemodynamics. These findings have led to the hypothesis that SGLT2 inhibitors may also preserve kidney function in patients with CKD without type 2 diabetes. The DAPA CKD trial enrolled patients with CKD with and without type 2 diabetes and demonstrated that DAPA glyphosin significantly reduced the risk of kidney events, hospitalization for heart failure or cardiovascular death, and prolonged survival irrespective of type 2 diabetes status. In a clinical research article, Effects of dapagliflozin on mortality in patients with chronic kidney disease, a pre-specified analysis from the DAPA-CKD randomized control trial. Hiro Hirschbink from the University Medical Center in Groningen in the Netherlands and colleagues determined the effects of dapagliflozin on cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular causes of death in a pre-specified analysis of the DAPA-CKD trial. DAPA-CKD was an international randomized placebo-controlled trial with a median 2.4 years follow-up. Eligible participants were adult patients with CKD, defined as a urinary albumin to creatinine ratio 200 to 5,000 mg per gram and an estimated glomerular filtration rate 
25 to 75 millilitres per minute per 1.73 metres squared. All-cause mortality was a key secondary endpoint. Cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular death was adjudicated by an independent clinical event committee. The DAPA-CKD trial randomised participants to dapagliflozin 10 mg per day or placebo. The mean age was 62 years, 33% were women, mean EGFR was 43.1 millilitres per minute per 1.73 metres squared. During follow-up, 247, or 5.7% of patients died. 37% of those patients died due to cardiovascular causes, 41% due to non-cardiovascular causes, while in the remaining 22% of patients, the cause of death was undetermined. The relative risk reduction for all-cause mortality with dapagliflozin, hazard ratio 0.69, p equaling 0.003, was consistent across pre-specified subgroups. Effects of all-cause mortality was driven largely by a 46% relative risk reduction. Death due to infections and malignancies were the most frequently occurring causes of non-cardiovascular deaths and were reduced in dapagliflozin versus placebo. The authors conclude that in patients with CKD, dapagliflozin prolongs survival, irrespective of baseline patient characteristics. The benefits are driven largely by reductions in non-cardiovascular death. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Niklaus Marx from the University Hospital in Aachen, Germany, who notes that taken together, the data from DAPA-CKD in conjunction with results from other recently published SGLT2 inhibitor trials in patients with HEFREF position the class of SGLT2 inhibitors far beyond their original use in patients with type 2 diabetes. Arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC, is an inherited disease associated with high risk of sudden cardiac death. Among other factors, physical exercise has been clearly identified as a strong determinant of the phenotypic expression of the disease arrhythmic risk and disease progression. Because of this, current guidelines advise that individuals with ARVC should not participate in competitive or frequent high-intensity endurance exercise. In a state-of-the-art review entitled Arrhythmogenic Right Ventricular Cardiomyopathy and Sports Activity From Molecular Pathways in Diseased Hearts to New Insights into Athletic Heart Mimicry Alessio Gasparetti from the University Heart Centre Zurich in Switzerland and colleagues further discuss this subject. Exercise-induced electrical and morphological paraphysiological remodelling, the so-called athlete's heart, may mimic several of the classic features of ARVC. Therefore, the current International Task Force criteria for disease diagnosis may not perform as well in athletes. Clear adjudication between the two conditions is often a real challenge with false positives that may lead to unnecessary treatments and false negatives that may lead to patients unprotected, both of which are equally unacceptable. This review aims to summarise the molecular interactions caused by physical activity in inducing cardiac structural alterations 
and the impact of sport on arrhythmia recurrence and other clinical consequences in patients with ARVC, and help the physicians in setting the two conditions apart. CKD patients require dialysis to manage the progressive complications of uremia. Yet many physicians and patients do not recognise that dialysis initiation, although often necessary, subjects patients to a substantial risk for cardiovascular or CV death. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled The Cardiovascular Dialysis Nexus, the transition to dialysis is a treacherous time for the heart. Kevin Chan from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Disease in Bethesda, Maryland, USA and colleagues indicate that while most recognised CV mortality risk approximately doubles with CKD, the recent data presented in their review show that the risk spikes to greater than 20 times higher than the US population average at the initiation of chronic renal replacement therapy. And this elevated CV risk continues through the first four months of dialysis. Moreover, this peak reflects how dialysis itself changes the pathophysiology of CV disease and transforms its presentation, progression and prognosis. This article reviews how dialysis initiation modifies the interpretation of circulating biomarkers, alters the accuracy of cardiovascular imaging and worsens prognosis. The authors advocate a multidisciplinary approach and outline the issue practitioners should consider in order to optimise cardiovascular care for this unique and vulnerable population during a perilous passage. Moderate or severe secondary, also known as functional mitral regurgitation, or SMR, accompanies HF in about one-third of patients and contributes to clinical deterioration, progression of the syndrome and adverse outcomes. In a special article entitled The Management of Secondary Mitral Regurgitation in Patients with Heart Failure, a joint position statement from the Heart Failure Association, or HFA, European Association of Cardiovascular Imaging, or EACVI, European Heart Rhythm Association, or EHRA, and European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, or EAPCI, of the ESC. Andrew Coates from Sydney University in Australia and colleagues notes that SMR results from the left ventricular remodelling that prevents co-adaption of the valve leaflets. SMR contributes to progression of the symptoms and signs of HF and confers worse prognosis. The management of HF patients with SMR is complex and requires timely referral to a multidisciplinary heart team. Optimization of pharmacological and device therapy according to guideline recommendations is crucial. Further management requires careful clinical and imaging assessment, addressing the anatomical and functional features of the mitral valve and left ventricle, overall HF status and relevant comorbidities. Evidence concerning surgical correction of SMR is sparse and it's doubtful whether this approach improves prognosis. Transcatheter repair has emerged as a promising alternative, but the conflicting results of current randomised trials require careful interpretation. 
This collaborative position statement, developed by four key associations of the European Society of Cardiology, the Heart Failure Association, European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, European Association of Cardiovascular Imaging, or EACVI, and European Heart Rhythm Association, presents an updated practical approach to the evaluation and management of patients with HF and SMR, based on a heart team approach. This issue is also complemented by a discussion forum contribution. In an article entitled, Different Genotypes of Brigada Syndrome May Present Different Clinical Phenotypes, Electrophysiology from Bench to Bedside. Ibrahim El Batrawi from the University of Heidelberg in Germany and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled Regarder Syndrome Genetics is Associated with Phenotype Severity by Giuseppe Ciconte from the IRCCS Policlinico San Donato in Milan, Italy and colleagues. Ciconte and colleagues respond in a separate contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.